Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the official podcast of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am Sarah Amargos, neurology professor from the Federal University of Minas Gerais, Brazil. Today is a special day as we have two guests, Dr. Thiago Peixoto Leal, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Mater Lab, and Dr. Inácio Mata, both from the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Mata is the PI from the Latin American Research Consortium on the Genetics of Parkinson's Disease, or large PD. We are going to discuss their recent paper published on Movement Disorder Journal, entitled X Chromosome Association Study in Latin American Cohorts Identifies New Lodge in Parkinson's Disease. Welcome, Dr. Mata, and many thanks for your time. Before we go into the article, I would like to ask you to explain us what exactly is the large PD and what are their goals. Thank you for inviting us to, to be here. So large PD or the Latin American Risk Consortium, the genetics of Parkinson's disease, as you mentioned, really is a collaboration going on since 2006, so quite a long time already. So the, the goal of this is really to understand the genetic component, although we also look at the environment and other factors, uh, in neurological disorders in Latinos. So Latinos are very underrepresented in genetic studies. So the idea of this collaboration was really to put those people in the big population within the world uh, and we want to make sure that they were represented. So right now we have 40 centers in 13 different countries all across Latin America and the Caribbean. And we have uh, over 6,000 individuals, both Parkinson's patients and also healthy controls that we need for our studies from a lot of these uh, different countries. Perfect. What was the large PD outcomes so far? We've been working for a long time, right? So as the numbers have been increasing, we've been able to do a lot more things. At the beginning, we really looked at familial forms of Parkinson's disease, mutations, so causal variants in these forms that were identified in mostly Europe and the United States and see if they were present in Latinos. We saw that we could find synuclein mutations, we could find Parkinson mutations, we also found several LERC2 mutations. So the things that we all know that are causing Parkinson's in families are also present in Latin America. And as Tiago is going to explain later, Latinos are very complex genetically. They have an ethmix of many different populations. So one of the things that we observed uh, very early on is that a lot of these mutations that have been found in Europeans are actually present in Latinos through conquistadors. So a lot of them are coming from a common ancestor that happened in Europe you know, a long time ago, especially the large mutations. So that was one of the first things that we did. And as the numbers started to increase and people started paying more attention about you know, diverse cohorts in research, we were able to do the first genome-wide association study. So we did this with some funding from the Parkinson's Foundation in 2016. We were able to genotype 1,500 individuals, uh, which is the same cohort that Thiago will explain that we've used on this study as well. And what we found is that obviously in a genome-wide terms, these genome-wide association studies usually have tens of thousands of people when you do it in Europeans, for example. Uh, we didn't have those big numbers, so it was a little bit underpowered, but even with very small cohort, we were able to see synuclein as the top risk a gene for Parkinson's disease, which is something that we saw in Europeans. The Asian gene also showed that synuclein was one of the top hits. So it was, it was very similar to what we have found in other populations. But in addition to that, we were also able to nominate a new gene that was actually associated with Native American ancestry. This region in the genome is close to a gene called NROS, 
We, we don't know much about this gene just yet, but it seems like it could be important and it could be population specific to Parkinson's disease in individuals that have this Native American ancestry, like many countries in Latin America, like Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador. So a lot of those countries that have a lot of Native American, this might be a risk factor. We also saw that polygenic risk score calculated with European data was actually effective at distinguishing between cases and controls in Latinos. Perfect. So the PRS calculated for European works for Latinos. Yeah, this was a surprise because modeling, so computer modeling, not real data sets have shown that if you use polygenic risk score, which is just to explain for the audience. So polygenic risk score is really just taking the aggregated of all the risk factors that are in the genome. So in Parkinson's, we have almost a hundred different regions of the genome that are involved in risk. Some of them increase the risk, some of them reduce the risk. So polygenic risk score takes for each individual, how many of those variants we actually carry. And then it makes a calculation of if you have a, a genetic component uh, or if you have a very a small genetic component, depending on what your PRS or your polygenic risk score is. A lot of the papers were saying that because most of the data that is publicly available comes from Europeans, if we try to do this for any disease, not only for Parkinson's, but cardiovascular disease, if we try to do these polygenic risk scores using uh, data from Europe, they don't translate very well to other populations just because the variants, the genetic variants might be different or the effect might be different. As these models might not be really good to predict if somebody is going to develop the disease in other populations. So when we tried the results from the Niles et al. paper from 2019, which is the largest GWAS that has been done in Parkinson's disease that only included European individuals, when we take that data and then calculate polygenic score Latinos, it actually worked really well, surprisingly. We went really in-depth to analyze how was that possible, and we found out that there was one variant in synuclein that actually accounted for 73% of the effectiveness of that polygenic risk score. If you take that variant out, the polygenic risk score doesn't work at all. And this is a variant that is much more common in Asians, uh, Latinos, than in Africans or Europeans. And the other thing that we found that is very interesting is that this variant, so the same variant that is in both populations, is actually surrounded by a completely different set of variants in Latinos compared to Europeans, which we might think that it might actually modify the effect of this variant. So that means that the variant itself is important, but also knowing what all the variants in the same gene are uh, might actually explain why some people might have a high risk or a low risk to develop the disease. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was quite uh, interesting to do this study, and uh, that hasn't been done before, so it was quite novel. So it's great. It's a new venue, I think, for Parkinson's disease. And Professor Mata, why and how X chromosome came up to your eyes? Yeah, so the X chromosome, a lot of us have X chromosome data, but we usually tend to exclude it. If you look at all the GWAS that have been done in other populations or in other diseases even, you see that they only look for the chromosome 1 to the chromosome 22. The chromosome X and the chromosome Y are completely ignored. Um, and something that we like to do in our lab is to study those things that are underrepresented, right? So we study Latinos because nobody does. So we decided to also study the X chromosome because nobody does. And then also because Parkinson's, uh, as other neurological disorders, affects one sex more than others. Uh, so the males have a, a little bit of increased risk compared to women uh, developing Parkinson's. So we thought that maybe the X chromosome could carry some important information to explain those differences. 
Uh, the reason why we don't study the X chromosome is really not because we don't want to do it. It's because it's quite hard. The dosage is different between males and females. Uh, the recombination rate is different also between males and females. There's also the X inactivation that we can tell when you genotype, you don't know which of the variants might be inactivated. Uh, and then another thing that uh, Tiago might mention is that in Latinos, it's even more complicated because the ancestry is different. Uh, the X chromosome ancestry is actually different to the autosome chromosome, so that increases the difficulty of analyzing it. But Tiago did a great job and he had to develop a lot of new pipelines to be able to analyze this data. Oh, very nice. Very interesting, Dr. Mata. Thank you. And Tiago, welcome. And many thanks for your time. Can you tell us about the population background of your study in detail? So first of all, thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. So the data set for large PD phase one, that is the data that was generated in 2016, is composed by 1,500 individuals from five different countries in Latin America, from Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Peru, and Uruguay. The Latin American populations are well known by the genetic diversity that is a consequence of centers of interaction between populations from Africa, Europe, and also the Native Americans. So all the Latin American populations share these three parental populations, but the social, economic, and geopolitical dynamics make each population unique on terms of genetic background. So for example, the Brazilian population in our data set has the biggest African contribution, while the Peruvian people has the biggest Native American ancestry. And also we have Europeans in all the cohorts. There is some cohorts that almost has any African ancestry. So Latin America is this beautiful heterogeneity. And at the same time, that is good. It's bad because you have to account this in your analysis. You cannot assume that your population is homogeneous, that your population follows the rules that was follows because you always has this heterogeneity that can cause some problems in some analysis. Interesting. I wasn't aware that the background was important for GWAS, for the roles you were saying. Please tell us what are the technical limitations for genome WAS with chromosome X? First, what is the premise of a genome an association studies? In this kind of study, you assume that differences in allele frequency is caused by the disease. So the idea is, if this allele here is more represented in my case than my controls, this is associated with my disease. But there is several evolutionary forces that can cause difference in allele frequencies that is not associated with the disease, and ancestry is one of them. So we have to account this in our analysis that we do on large PD. So our X was not the first. We have in 2021, Ian Le Guin from Stanford, he published the first X was on Parkinson's disease, and they found two regions associated with Parkinson's disease risk in a European cohort. And on that time, we have here on our lab, the doctor is now the Dr. Shuparal, but on the time she was a PhD student, she was already studying the difference between PD in males and females. And came this, article and we say, oh, let's see if we can see the same variants, if we can find new variants in a mixed population because they just use the European individuals that are highly homogeneous. They selected a very specific subset of European population. So 
in this point, we start our project and we start to face some problems because the first problem is the Leguenechao pipeline was made for a very homogeneous population and our populations are about the heter genetic heterogeneity. And also our sample size is not so great, it's not so big, but when you do XWAS, you want to see if you find some variants associated with females and males to see if there is alleles that is associated with a single cell, like this allele increase the risk on males, but not in females. So you have to do a lot of segregating our data set by sex. So our sample size that is already small for XWAS, it became even small to XWAS. So what we do was we started to make a lot of plans to adapt the Gwenetial model and also to outcome all these problems that show to us. How did you overcome this limitation for XYS? So our first step was to study the Leguenetial pipeline. Like the pipeline was really good, but they had a step that they remove individuals that are admixed. And the first thing that we have to do is remove this step because we will finish without any samples. So after this, we need to understand why he was doing this step because anyone excludes samples by any reason. And we have to adapt our model to try to control for the problems that he does excluding the admix samples. So our data set uses the mega array platform um, that has a good coverage. So one of the problems that Nacho told that the some genotype arrays platform is not so good was solved to us. We try to minimize the impact of a small sample size by uh, running two different analyses. One that we call the large owl. It's in few words, we merge everyone that was on large PD and run a single analysis. So we have our big sample size. But the big sample size has a problem that the different non-ancestry could cause uh, some false positives or false negatives. So we run another analysis to try to control this. We run the regression by country and after this we meta-analyze this data. So that's what we call the large meta. So we have two different data sets for each analysis that we did. So in the end, we have to do eight different regressions. And we also had several tests about methodological things that probably if I talk to someone that it's computational outside as me, will be really excited, but our audience is more about people that do not are so interested in this. So if you are interested in this, came to read my paper because everything is there clear. Okay, thank you so much. But I'm glad you are explaining everything in a more understandable language for us. What the associations did you analyze and what did you find in this XWAS? So as we run eight different analyses, we have two data sets, the large owl, again, have all the samples and the large meta that we run a regression and make a meta-analysis. So for each one of these two data sets, we run analysis using just the females to see if we find females variants associated with the disease. We run just with males to see if there is some variants associated with pidgin on males. We merge both data sets on a single data set that we call the both and run. And also we perform the Leguenetal called male plus female. That is, you take the female only data and male only data and perform a meta-analysis that takes account the sex and also see if there is a high heterogeneity and outro statistical controls that you can have doing this kind of analysis. So we have eight 
data sets, eight sets of results. And with these eight sets of results, we find 86 newly associated variants in eight regions of linkage equilibrium. So we had variants in intronic regions, in intergenic, and some one of in exonic regions, but only two regions were replicated in our replication cohort. In other hand, we replicated one of the Leguin et al. variant. The dataset also replicated one of our new associated variants. And how did you replicate your cohort? Which cohort did you use? The replication, it's a crucial step. It's a very important step in genetic studies because sometimes you can find some very good results by the chance. So when you do a genetic study, you usually try to replicate in an independent cohort to see if it's not by the chance, but you find something that it's really associated with the disease. And this became a problem to us because large PD has a historical problem with replication cohorts. We don't have any good replication cohort because large PD is the biggest study on Latin Americans. So it became a problem. So we tried to use the Latino data set from the International Parkinson's Disease Genomic Consortium, the IPDC, that was genotyped and used the neurochip array. We have another data from IPDDC, but they used chip that has very, very few variants on the X chromosome. If I'm not wrong, it's 2000. So we cannot use the data set with more samples because they don't have variants enough. So this data set has 155 individuals, which are very small sample size to do any statistical analysis. So in this moment, we have to find another cohort to increase our sample size. So I go to the Epigen Brazil data set. That was the data that I work on the UFMG when I did my master and PhD program. And they have their Bambui aging cohort study. The Bambui dataset is composed by 1,422 individuals that represents 82% of the residents of the city in the baseline year. And everyone is higher than 60 years old. So this cohort also contains PG cases. So we, using merging Bambui with the PDC, we also increase our cases. And this inclusion was done, thank you to the Dr. Abel and Dr. Paulo Caramelli. They help us give you the IDs for all the one that has the RPG cases and other kind of PDs. So using this IPDC plus Bambui dataset, we were able to make the replication. And as I told before, we replicate two variants. One of the variants has a different positive effect direction between the discover and the replication cohort. So we are trying to understand why this happens to this one. And another was what we call a full replication. The p-value was statistically significant and also the effects follow the same direction. It's interesting because Bambui is the largest epidemiological study run in Brazil about Parkinson's disease. So this cohort was useful for you because we know who is a Parkinsonian and who is not. It was a really good surprise because I was including the data and some and Dr. Eduardo Tarazona, my previous supervisor, told me, oh, they have PDs on Bamboo. I say, oh, nice. Let me find the individuals because you can also improve our sample size better. So it was really nice. 
Yes, the study was conducted there in Babui, and people from our university came there to examine the patients, all the patients, all older patients. So let's go to another question. How did you study the gene expression of those variants? What did you find? After the replication, our first step was go to the GTEx portal, which has information about the expression quantitative loss, which has the goal to identify genetic variants that affects the expression of one or more genes. So if this variant increases or decreases the expression of a, a gene. So after this, we build a list with all the KTL-associated genes, and we start two different analyses. The first analysis was a co-localization that was done with the help of Dr. Sara Bandres-Siga from NIH. That this analysis has to the goal to investigate if the variant mediates the risk through the expression of the end of the gene. So, like if this variant increases this or decreases the expression of these genes, and if this causes the disease. Unfortunately, our co-localization analysis didn't show that this is happening, but we got a very good first step to see if we can find a variant that is in linkage to our replicated variant or not. So we have future steps to go. And the second analysis was using the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative data or the PPMI. And the PPMI have their RNA counts by cases and controls. So we extracted the information from all the genes in our list. So we take our list of genes and extract the information from PPMI data. After this, we segregate our analysis by sex, and we made a t-test between the RNA counts, between cases and controls, and also segregating by the ethnicity. So we achieved three statistical significance results, but more work is ne we need to do because the difference in the sample size for European populations and Hispanic or Latinos populations are pretty high, so we need to do more works to be able to see if these differences are really associated with the disease or just because of sampling problems or something like this. Now, I would like to ask you both to share with us your conclusions and limitations of this study and the next steps. Hopefully it was clear in this chat with you that we need to do more more studies in other populations, right? It's, it's great to study Europeans, but I think there's a great deal that we can find studying a more diverse cohorts. And I think this is a huge effort that the Parkinson's community is doing. There's a genetic program called GP2 that is funded by the ASAP initiative. And I think we will get there. I think there's more and more efforts to include individuals from all around the world, not only from Latin America, but from Africa, Southeast Asia, India, regions that are very underrepresented. I think the Michael J. Fox as well is putting a lot of funding towards those efforts. I, I think, again, even with a small cohorts, as we showed, you can still find things. Even if they're not as big as Europeans, I think there is a lot of ways that we can find interesting things and make sure that also the things that we have found in Europeans to see how they apply uh, to other populations. Because there is a great deal of overlap, especially because Latinos have some European on them. Uh, a lot of things that we do find in Europe and the state uh, can be translated to Latinos as well. And I think the limitations are also very clear, which is that a lot of the things that we don't have that Europeans have are bigger data sets, replication data sets, right? As Tiago was mentioning, it's very hard to find samples to be able to replicate some of these results. And our cohort is 
currently not big enough to be able to split it into two and do a discovery phase and a, a replication phase. And, and then also uh, a lot of the things, the databases that we use like PPMI or GTEx, they're not following up with this inclusive uh, approach and they still don't include a lot of Latinos. They don't include a lot of uh, black African-American individuals. And that means that a lot of the data for the next steps, right? So all the protein expression, gene expression, uh, those things we're using data that are not really perhaps as good as they should for the populations that we're actually studying. So, so the next steps will be critical in trying to generate those as well as like IPS cell models. A lot of the models that we use are also based on European. So I think those are kind of like my main goals is to try to improve this. And again, I think we are on the way through GP2 to be able to do a lot of these things and running a lot of these analyses in the full GP2 cohort, which hopefully will have around 150,000 individuals. So it'll be a very large study. Yes, perfect. What about you, Chad? What do you think will be your next steps? You will replicate yourself in these studies. So about the conclusions, I agree with everything that Dr. Marta told. Like we need to increase the diversity of the, our studies. And for the next steps, I have two different next steps. The first one is that all this was done using the large PD phase one data. Dr. Ignacio Mata was funded by a R1 grant and he's collecting more samples from Latin America. So on the future, the most basic thing is do a XWAS on large two-phase data that has more samples for more countries, so more diversity and all that kind of problem that we like to solve. And also there is statistical models that takes account what we call local ancestry. So when I say ancestry inference in a mixed individual, you can do in two different levels. The first one is the individual level, which you say, I don't know, for example, me, Thiago Peixoto Leal, I made a test and I'm 50% European, 27% African and 23% Native American. But you can do this in a chromosomal level. You can go look each piece of each chromosome in a mixed individual. And there is statistical models that take this in account when you do the analysis. So one of the things that I, I believe that I will work in the next months or years will be using one of those methodologies to run this on the chromosome X. Of course, we expect this won't be so easy because all the methodologies, the local ones, references, and also the methodologies to include the local ones three on the X chromosome was made for autosomals. So we have to build the whole pipeline to bring this data, this methodology, these techniques from the autosomals to X chromosome. So that's our next two steps. That is large PD phase two and also included the local ancestry in the models to be able to reduce the heterogeneity and extract the full potential of admixed individuals have. Wow, perfect. Many thanks, Dr. Mata and Dr. Tiago. I think we are envisioning a new era for Parkinson's disease. And hopefully we will get more and more samples and you replicate yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Hey. I would like to make an addendum. Bambui cohort was initiated in 1997 to investigate the incidence and predictors of health outcomes in elderly population. They had 2,000 participants aged 60 and over. 
Professor Francisco Cardoso and Professor Mayra Barbosa conducted a two-phase population-based approach. They screened all individuals aged over 65 with a questionnaire, and then patients scoring two or plus in this questionnaire were examined. 66-7 patients. This cohort was used for replication of data found in XWAS from large PD. They used PD patients' data and, importantly, the 1,500 controls and, as they ruled out the Parkinsonian ones, they created an accurate control-aged cohort. This was extremely important for this study, and the large PD authors are extremely grateful for having the opportunity to use this data. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website. <laughs>